Hey there, listeners. If you like our podcast, the best way to support us and help us grow is by leaving a review. This helps our ratings and definitely helps me prove my high school guidance counselor was wrong. I'm like, you gave us no information on how many likes that got, how much engagement that got, the traction, how far it reached. But like Paul on 227-2023, we hadn't even seen a race yet in 2023 when he wrote that. (laughs) That's so bad. So why is that on here, you know? Welcome back to Gravel Trap F1. I'm Christina. And I'm Caroline. There's no race this week. But BuzzRadar dropped a very interesting report about F1 and social media. And it is making waves. So in response, we've invited engineer and F1 enthusiast Bryson Sullivan. A.K.A. Natural Paradigm. We welcomed him onto the pod to discuss the topic of social media and what our takeaways should be from all this data. I love me some data. back yes for another interesting conversation no race this week but i feel like there is plenty to talk about with this report that came out it is very interesting there's been articles written all over the place about how there's this report written by buzz radar and it's basically saying that social media numbers are down because of the dominance of red bull and max verstappen now because we are brown nosers a plus students we actually went and found the original report and dug into it yes well and we'll get into it even more with a great guest that's coming later but just a couple of topics so that you guys are familiar with this report in case you don't have it in front of you essentially what we're trying to unpack here is the first part of a three-part what is it report series would you call it a report series sure let's go with that yeah and in the first one they want to answer the question have we reached the peak of f1 um so of course we can't be unbiased in our approach to this report i feel like we should preface by saying as avid f1 fans and members of formula one social media it's hard to come in unbiased, but in the same way, I feel like we can come in very informed because of our presence in both worlds. Would you agree, Christina? I would say so. I will include a link for our listeners if they want to download the report and follow along because we will be referencing it throughout the, the episode. And I would highly recommend you having it pulled up because we reference a lot of things that make more sense when you're visually looking at it. So... If you have, if you're not driving, if you're driving and listening to this episode, do not pull it up. Absolutely. Can I just say though, I do really like the color scheme that they chose for this report. It's very McLaren and Aston Martin becoming one. Oh my gosh. New conspiracy theory. They're getting ready to launch new team. They're morphing together to become oh. the ultimate midfield team. The ultimate midfield team. <laughs> here to lend his expertise into this wonderful world of social media and f1 we're so excited to have a guest with us today we are joined by 
Bryson Sullivan. You may recognize his profile picture if you're very active on F1 Twitter because he is active there. You can find a lot of his content is based around fluid dynamics, just how air flows around planes. And (laughs) that's very applicable to F1 cars as well because air is flowing around them. He's an engineer, he's an F1 enthusiast, and he is joining us today. Hello, Bryson. Hi, thanks for having me. And I, I apologize for the deluge of uh, aero posts and fluid dynamics and vortices and things, but I can't help myself sometimes. Oh, do oh, not apologize. I'm pretty sure you're smarter than all three of us combined. So we're so grateful to have you here. <laughs> oh, no. I Embarrassingly, I thought that I was already following you yesterday because you're always on my timeline. And then I go to check your page <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, I've just been lurking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do watch the show, so uh, thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, thanks for being here. This is so fun. You might be our most, not I don't want to throw any shade at, at previous guests, but you might be our most well-educated, like, science-y guest we have ever had on this podcast. So this is really exciting for me. I know Christina has probably 80,000 <laughs> questions to ask you because Christina is a Top Gun enthusiast, and so she knows way more than I do about plane engineering. I don't even know what the <laughs> official term would be, but I know I'm excited for you to be here. I can't imagine how excited Christina is. So, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us how you got started in the space. You know, it's so funny. The story of how I got into F1 is completely an accident. I mean, I, I fell into this trap that everyone falls into. Oh, it's just racing. It's just driving around in circles. Who really cares about that? It would be boring, right? But one day, you know, some of my friends dragged me to a race somewhat begrudgingly and said, I'll check out this F1 thing. We'll see how that is. And seeing these cars in person, seeing their speed, their acceleration, the cornering, you're just not used to seeing that uh, on a day-to-day basis. And I was sort of hooked by it, just the the visceral nature of it, the simplicity of it, just go around as back as go around the track as fast as possible. But that that manifests itself in in complex ways that you would never even imagine. So it's just been a really exciting ride, just learning about F1. And I really got into the Formula One social media space only maybe a couple of years ago. And I've really been tapping on the experience of very ex- experienced people like Scarbs and Alpha Fabrica and people who give us firsthand knowledge of what's going on. And I've just been enjoying it and talking about F1 to my heart's content. So which race did you go to? I'm curious, which, which one's the <laughs> one that got you hooked? Uh, this is a, the perfect demonstration of how extreme my love is for F1 engineering. Uh, the race was a 2005 uh, USGP in Indianapolis, right? Oh, and wow. that nice. race, yes, yes, that race uh, is a famous <laughs> race because there are only six cars in the race, and Thiago Montero was on the podium, and this incredibly like you know, farcical race that everyone should hate in principle. But the reality oh, is that the thing that draws me to F1 wasn't diminished at all by there only being six cars on the track, if that kind of makes sense. And so the the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is kind of the home, is the birthplace of my love for motorsport. And I'll actually be there again next week for the Indy 8 hour. So I'm looking forward to it. Oh, that's so exciting. You were there? Mm-hmm. I was there. <laughs> How was that's a whole separate episode. <laughs> we should we should definitely talk about it. Uh yes. offline. Not we don't have time today, but yes. I love it. <laughs> that is so cool. Sorry, sorry. Continue. That's record time making Buck go off screen. <laughs> yeah. uh, honestly, honestly, I, I've been overdue to do an episode entirely on that. 
and my first person experience of it. So at some point down the line, you know, we'll bookmark this for another episode. I love it. Perfect. Great plan. So what circles of the F1 kind of motorsport social media world do you swim in? Are you just in, in the Twitter? Is it a Twitter verse? Twitter sphere? What is, what is, the, what is the lingo? Well, it's technically not even Twitter anymore because yeah. of uh, oh. e- Elon's things. I mean, Twitter is really where I started. So I did most of my uh, interactions there. But to be honest, because of the threat of constant change and things on Twitter and becoming X and similar things, I've been migrating more to other platforms as well. So I'm also on Instagram, uh, a natural paradigm. I do technically have a TikTok account, but don't ever message me because I'll never see it. Uh, <laughs> don't don't waste your time and mine. Uh, but no, I mean, Twitter Twitter is fantastic because even though the worst parts of it can be quite quite bad, the good parts of it are extraordinarily good. It's very useful for communicating information and sharing posts and content in an efficient way. So that's typically where I am on Twitter, but also on Instagram. And a little bit of YouTube here and there, but, but not really to speak of. Nice. Very cool. Nice. And one one thing I would say was that I mostly am in the tech space, but I also have some punditry uh, bona fides as well. <laughs> Oh, we're going to need to get into some of these strong opinions and hot takes. Absolutely. Okay. I have one slightly nerdy question. I don't know if it's slightly nerdy, but McLaren announced today that they have their new wind tunnel. So I'm assuming that because you do the aerodynamics, because you understand that, how big of a jump are we looking at from their old wind tunnel to now? I mean, the story of McLaren's old wind tunnels, it isn't even theirs. It's actually Toyota's mm-hmm. wind tunnel in Cologne. As you know, Toyota was in F1 until 2009, and they pulled out in 2010. And McLaren kind of right away started going in there and using their tunnel. I think the thing people need to realize first on is the tunnel is a very useful tool, but it's not the only thing you need to create a fast race car. It works in sort of this triangle. Right? You have wind tunnel data, you have CFT data, and you have experimental on-track data. All of them are useful for developing a race car, but the wind tunnel is actually an incredibly important one of those tools. I think the main thing I wanted to convey about the wind tunnel is it's not really going to be making an impact in car design until 2025 is a more realistic time frame because the 2024 car is already deep in the development cycle. I mean, I mean, frankly, we've already seen how scary McLaren is, is right now, even with their mm-hmm. previous facilities. Um, they have developed, you know, over a second in lap time compared to Red Bull from the beginning of the season. So I, I can only imagine what they would be capable of with their own wind tunnel. Now, to be clear, there are some, you know, tuning and, and calibration efforts that have to go on with any wind tunnel because it has quirks and usual things you have to use to get good correlation. But it's going to be a very powerful tool for them going forward. I'm excited. I'm very excited for them to have their own wind tunnel finally because it's been a long time coming for sure. I agree. That was my little U-turn that I felt like we had to take for two seconds there. Uh, you, you can go way more nerdy than that. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Well, let's get into this report a little bit because one of the main reasons we wanted to have Bryson here with us today, not only is he an expert in the field, he's also avid on social media. So our amazing producer, Buck, thought he would be a really great person to bring on. And I can't help but agree. So um, Bryson, give us some of your initial thoughts or even hot takes on this report? Perhaps lukewarm takes would be the most okay. appropriate description. But so first of all, let me just say <clears throat> Red Bull and Max as a team have done some extraordinary things this season. Uh, they're achieving levels of dominance we really haven't seen before in the sport. 
F1 is when it works properly a meritocracy. If you build the best car and have the best driver, you will tend to win. So right off the bat, we'll just start with that and say that's a, a thing that can happen in Formula One occasionally. But when you have that level of domination, it can become extraordinarily boring. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's something that's just a natural, it's a natural consequence of, of the way things are going on. And periods of dominance are, are normal in Formula One. I think the challenge is we have a Formula One fan base that was given such a fantastic, if if controversial uh, season in 2021, that they were given the representation that that's how Formula One always is. And people don't realize it, but there's actually a fundamental paradox at the heart of the sport. And that is that the best racing actually comes from spec series, series like Mm -hmm. IndyCar, where the cars are similar, Mm -hmm. the performance is very similar. That type of series inherently produces the best wheel-to-wheel racing and the most exciting races and closest championships, inherently. But the fastest cars, the most technologically advanced machines, the greatest strategy is built on prototype series like Formula One. And so we're trying to skirt this line of having a genuine prototype series that is, in fact, engineering driven and and design technology driven, but also gives a good racing. And that's the challenge that we're trying to to find. I think the racing is actually very close behind Red Bull, but Red Bull is this outlier that's two or three standard deviations above where anyone expected. And that's not necessarily their fault by all perceptions they follow the rules and just built a fantastic car this year um but essentially it's something that we have to you know account for as a possible outcome i don't think we should in a reactionary way change all the regulations specifically to target one team because oftentimes that actually impacts other teams more than the team you're targeting <laughs> first of totally. all um but but i think i think the the racing is it comes and goes some seasons are more exciting than others I think there will be a a time in the future where things will be much closer than they currently are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the current state is not necessarily reflective of the impending future that we're just doomed to be in this Red Bull dominance era for forever, that there will be developments, there will be changes. I mean, heck, this McLaren wind tunnel is going to make hopefully a really significant difference with a team that's already been charging from the back since the beginning of this season for our listeners that don't know what we're talking about when we talk about a report, because I think Bryson did a really good job of prefacing the report and the way that we should kind of regard this. This was a report that was made by buzz radar that essentially was saying social media and F1 is dying. Am I correct? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. I, I'm not sure the word dying was explicitly in the text, but yeah. we, we were seeing figures on, on the order of, you know, 70% loss in social engagement uh, on this year versus the, the previous season, let alone 2021, which things were, you know, really mm-hmm. at their peak. And so that's an important piece of information. It, we should note that, of course, F1, uh, you could have set your watch to this, but F1 did offer a retort saying, no, 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 this data isn't accurate. And this is, you know, we are, are still on the rise and X, Y, and Z. But the reality is F1 cannot be unbiased about its own statistics. And I'm not saying that, you know, this buzz online uh, data is, you know, unimpeachable. But at the same time, it's more objective than information that F1 itself would try to provide, unfortunately. So mm-hmm. I think my biggest critique of this one report is for one, there's a number of graphs that it only includes data from January to May, because at the time the report was compiled, 
that's how far we had gotten into this 2023 season. So you can't compare a full year's worth of other years data when we haven't even finished this year. So you have to pay attention to what graph is being displayed. And the other big thing is that they seem to only be analyzing the things that are very explicitly about Formula One and on-track events. The one graph where it's tracking all the different key words or key moments that were being discussed in social media include the surprise wins by Gasly, Sainz, and the title fight deciders like Abu Dhabi 21 or Max winning in Japan and no one knowing how many points were available and him sitting in that red chair. (laughs) And yes, all of those moments are great you know, fire sparkers for Formula One and for online discussions and content creation. But there are also all of these other things that happened off track that it seems like they didn't even take into account. There's no discussion of silly season, even when they're just comparing, you know, 2016 all the way up to 2022, I think they do. There's no discussion of silly season seeming to be included in that, which last year was an abnormally busy year. This year, nothing has changed, which that's a contract thing. You can't Mm-hmm. Some, some years are boring and slow when it comes to that. But it does seem like they've kind of just cherry picked and made their lives very easy as far as data analysis goes, which means that they we're looking at a very isolated picture, not the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And they're correct me if I'm wrong. I believe they're only looking at F1 corporates social channels. So they're not looking at and, and maybe some of the teams social channels, but they're not looking at the myriad of content creators that are growing by the day across all social media platforms Mm -hmm. that are, I mean, every day I feel like I'm seeing new people coming into the space, which is incredible and amazing and making really fun, relative and relatable content that is not included in this data. Yeah, I, I don't have enough um, specific information about this report to say conclusively that they are definitely not taking into consideration things that are outside of the, the main accounts. But at the end of the day, you're completely right. There are tons of things that are hard to measure and, and quantify. The point that Christina brought up about the, the silly season being decidedly less silly uh, this season, uh, it's actually historically unsilly in that so far there's been no driver changes whatsoever for the None. upcoming season. If, if Logan's, if, if Logan Sargent stays at Williams, it'll be the first time in the history of the sport where there have been no driver changes over the course of a year to year. So that's mm-hmm. definitely a fluctuation that, that can happen. The other thing I would say is that the, the more hard metrics like fan attendance, you know, and actually like, you know, viewership numbers on YouTube is, is good, but how many fans are actually going to races? That really hasn't declined much at all. That's still at, a, at an all-time high. So, it's a really good point. So true. Oh, Buck is showing us F1's Miami Grand Prix CZO's attendance dropped twenty four percent year over year. That race has only existed two times, yeah, for two years. So you can't compare it's... the inaugural year to the regular year. And and I'm slightly unbiased here because, or I slightly biased here because I'm from Miami originally and I've always wanted to see Formula One in Miami so I'm always happy to to see that racing but I don't necessarily love the way that if it's being run some of the aspects of it that are uh, mega cringe giga cringe are not are not are not ideal but I do like that we have races in the United States and your point is completely taken that we really have only had one you know race previously to this one and so it's going to take a little bit of time to really uh, 
get a statistically valid sample of data points. Absolutely. I just think it's interesting that they've included one slide of attendance data in this whole social media report. And it's and only it's the, Miami. <laughs> and it's only this one bad number from Miami to Caroline's point is likely just the natural flow of things after an inaugural event. I guarantee mm-hmm. you Las Vegas is going to see a drop in attendance next year because everybody's going this year. You, you know, I, I have thoughts about Las Vegas. The, the brief technical point I'll make about it because uh, I'm here to do you know tech things. Uh, the back straight at Las Vegas is so long. It's actually long enough for someone to slipstream past the car they're, they're passing and then the car behind to slipstream past them again. And, and, no and, way. And, and repass them in the braking zone. That That is that it's... is how long that straight is. And it starts off with a very uh, low speed, high traction exit where you can have problems. I mean, there's going to be so much more slipstreaming and overtaking in Las Vegas, but I think people are really appreciating. Yes, we make fun that the circuit layout looks like a pig and outline. I get it. Yes, the tickets are inc- incredibly, incredibly expensive. I get it. But the actual racing itself, I think, will mm-hmm. surprise some people. Have they announced the DRS zones? No. Uh, I, they usually tend to wait because um, the, the, the cars evolve over time as far as, you know, how well they can follow each other. And we've talked about the adding downforce makes it harder. There's not a whole lot of high-speed turns in Las Vegas, but they usually tend to wait a little while to lock in those DRS zones. One of the things I would say is check the FIA website. The FIA mm-hmm. website is a, is a extremely valuable tool, there. not only for regulations, but they have live timing information, speed trap data, lap by lap analysis. They have tech reports now where they will cover the, the technical developments for each team in each race. So these are interfaces not perfect, but if I can communicate one thing is that the FIA website is actually excellent for getting some of this additional data about racing. Mm-hmm. That's some really good data. <laughs> What I've witnessed you occupy within the Twitter sphere, and I'll call it that because I, I refuse to call it X, there's a different social media environment on Twitter. It, it's, there's a different tone. There's a different way people interact. I, I, I was on some sort of live group chat thing where people were talking and taking turns talking in a very sort of democratic way, and it seemed to be decentralized in this open discussion conversation format that I don't see happening on other platforms. So your perspective on how the landscape is from a social media angle, have we seen a a decline or any kind of change in the last couple of years? And and your perspective on on what you've seen there, I I think is, is, is important as well. Yeah, just briefly, if I've if I've seen anything, I mean, there's no question that there is a general dissatisfaction of the homogeneity of Formula One in the current era. I mean, we we joke about the Max Verstappen podcast, right? That's a very funny joke and we all enjoy it. But that meme is born of something that's happening in reality, which is Max is going to win and who's going to be there with him. We don't know. It might change a little bit here and there. I think even in the most extreme periods of dominance in other era in other eras, there have been other winners. There have been a, there has been a little bit more variation in who was winning. Even if, they didn't, even if they didn't win the championship or even if they didn't win that many races, there seemed to be a little bit more variation there. And so, yes, there's a general, in my perception of what the Twitter, you know, X, we'll call it what we will, my perception of the fans' reaction to that is that 
that's not really ideal for them. I mean, obviously there's a, there's a partisan nature to this. Some people just don't want Red Bull to win. They would be perfectly happy if it was another team winning indefinitely. wouldn't say anything. So you have to sort of try to disentangle the partisan, I don't want the specific team to win versus the general, hey, one team is winning constantly. What can we do to change that? And so, yes, I mean, I'm not sure if that's people signing, checking out entirely, not watching any races. But I have heard of some people not watching races unless they were told to specifically because they know who's going to win. And that's just a natural consequence of what's going on. The thing about social media is that it does attract people who really like to have their voice heard. So Mm. even just analyzing social media, you're not getting a full picture of all fans. Because again, we like to talk. It's what makes you good at hosting a podcast. People who have opinions, it's what makes their Twitter, Instagram, what have you, popular because they have something to say. And if somebody dislikes something, how how to an extreme do you know that they're going to go in order to voice their discontent. So I would love to see a graph where, I don't know if it would be possible for them to analyze that. I I imagine it would be, but how much of this is coming from a wide variety of accounts and how much of it is just from the very vocal few who are very, very loud. That is also a reality of the internet. (laughs) And they can have that data because they announced... Mm -hmm. What was it? End of last season? I mean, it was it was as a result of the continued hate that continued through 2022, post-2021, that they were hiring on this ex- external company to be basically vetting the comment sections mm-hmm. for all of the F1 teams and F1 corporate. I'm like, so they know who the loud problems are, is what I hear them saying. And now they professionally want to remove them. But there was a, speaking of like just people's opinions, on that same slide that had the F1 Miami data, there were there was also like a tweet and a couple of Twitch comments. The other thing that cracks me up about some of these reports is that they'll pull you know a tweet or they'll pull a comment or they'll pull a video and I'm not just trying to call out buzz radar because I've seen it on Netflix documentaries I've seen it on you know many published works I'm like you gave us no information on how many likes that got how much engagement that got the traction how far it reached how long that person has been making content how many followers they have they do give us the followers on one of them but like Paul on 227 2023 we hadn't even seen a race yet in 2023 when he wrote that <laughs> so why so is that on here you know <laughs> That's actually Discord, by the way, yeah. not Twitch. Discord, excuse me. That tells you how much I know about the logos. Well, it it just speaks to the I, I was I didn't realize they were able to pull data from Discord servers like this. Yeah. I, I'm, we have a Discord server, and I'm a little <laughs> like, are, are they creeping? Are they creeping around our hallways? They're watching uh, us. Almost certainly. Almost certainly. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but then, how many have... of us even have private group chats that are over text? Like, I can tell you how many strong opinions I've shared, but they're all a lot more private. Because they're mm. not in these public forums. Like, it's it's all fine and well to look at what the general public discussion is. But again, that's just one of many discussions that could potentially be happening. How many people go to pubs or other live events to watch the races and enjoy it that way? Because everyone's just having fun and getting excited. The vibe when we were watching the Japan race in Vegas was 
really, really fun and everyone was having a great time. And I don't think anybody is really, everyone's going to have good memories of that Japan race because of the vibe around it. Like it's, it was good. It was a good race. Yeah. yeah. The, the online conversation, I feel like, yes, it's a big thing and should be analyzed, but it's also just such a microclimate. It is not the entire reality of fans. I agree. I agree completely. I think one of the things that we're learning over time is precisely what you described previously, which is the online sphere is self-selecting to a degree. You're hearing people that want to be heard. Now, most of the time I, I try to use my uh, modest uh, Twitter reach to sort of highlight things that I find interesting from a technical perspective, but there's no question. People always go there to yell <laughs> and to be yelled at <laughs> occasionally. So the, the good parts of it are really good, uh, but the bad parts of it can be extraordinarily bad. Um, okay, this was something that um, I. Buck, did you pull this up to to talk about the piece earlier of like what's not included on this beautiful pie graph? Uh, it was something we had discussed earlier. I, I wasn't trying to steer you. I was just giving you okay, options. I wasn't sure. Yeah. I was like, is is he is he is this a test for Bryson to see if he can see what's not what's not included on this pie graph? Well, they they don't have in there uh, being dragged to a race by people you barely know and just watching there it fun in person. Uh, but no, I mean, there listen, it's, I'm very happy that people are getting into F1 because of Drive to Survive. We all know it's not technically accurate or even narratively accurate in, in some situations, but it's a good way to get into this sport, get excited about it. I mean, it's the same thing we were talking about Top Gun earlier. I can tell you that Top Gun, 1986, uh, <laughs> is, not an, is not an accurate depiction of naval aviation. Okay, oh, There, yeah, there are no. things that happen that are not accurate, but... If it gets you excited about it to learn more about it and to and to take your your enthusiasm to the next level, then it's done its job. So I I really don't have any problem with quote unquote DTS fans or DTS fans uh, stands. They don't have to stay in any particular position. If they want to learn more, you know, they're more than happy to do so and, and I'd love to, you know, talk to them about it. So there's also Drive to survive, not surprising that it's up at 18%. But the one category that's very shocking that we were talking about this earlier that's not on here is social media. There's no pie slice for people who merely saw content being thrown at them online, because I guess that's technically how I got into it. Like hmm. my, my story of how I got into F1 is threefold. One, I was on a date with a guy and he talked about it. So that was interesting. And then two, the internet just kept suggesting that I watch YouTube videos, that I follow people that were associated with Formula One until I ended up watching it. And that's a huge number of people that have similar stories where, you know, you just randomly come across something. We learn something new on TikTok every day because the algorithm on your For You page just suggests things that they think you might like. They creep on all of your friends and think, hey, if that friend likes it, this friend who's codependent and shares the same brain probably will as well. <laughs> like, how many people have been suggested to just random content? Caroline and I have both gotten comments on videos basically saying, I don't know what this is, but okay. I'll be interested in it. Now, now. I want to. Yeah. Now exactly. I got it. And I'm like, welcome to Formula One. Yeah. We're glad you're here. Th this is really the, the legacy of, of Liberty Media that's actually a positive thing because in Bernie Ecclestone's era, this is exactly what he, he didn't want. He wanted to have the smallest <laughs> group of people pay to see Formula One and assuming they have tons of money to just pay outrageous amounts of money for it. But opening up the, the, the YouTube rights and television and everything else, this is all part of a, a broad push that is a, a categorical change in philosophy of how the owners of F1 operate as opposed to the old 
old way of doing things in, in Bernie's era. Just to clarify this chart, if anyone's listening and following along, uh, this is slide 20, how do new fans get into F1? The description up here, they, they talk about how YouTube is, they, they're basically giving YouTube all the credit, but they're not listing YouTube on here. Also, it's this isn't in a hierarchical order. Drive to Survive, this dark color is only 18. Family, which is in listed second, is the largest slice at 27%. So I, I, I think they also didn't do a good job of explaining what their explanations are trying to explain. Like, what does pandemic even point. mean? Right. Like, oh. I feel like most people who started during the pandemic, it was watch Drive to Survive. Drive to survive. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right. It feels like Together. that's significant overlap. Yeah. Although I will guess, maybe they just mean that people who watched sports normally started watching Formula One because it was the only sport that was available at the time. Correct. But again, you would have to add that context. Because mm-hmm. Formula One was the first sport to go back to being active, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It didn't really die. I mean, like, it still raced in 2020, you know? Exactly. Like, so. And had the, it had the virtual races, which were some pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Chinese Grand Prix, I think it was Albon and Russell going back and forth, drafting off each other lap after lap. It was, an, it was a really fun mm-hmm. virtual race to watch. You had the robots. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. What 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 race was that? I, I remember Lewis looking at it like, "What what's going on here? What? <laughs> can you can you see me?" Like he, he remember, you know, it was just a, yes. a very comical <laughs> podium. Uh, I honestly listen. I would prefer bringing back these uh, robots uh, than the the trophies which light up when you kiss them. And that just seems like a very specific choice, but that's what they went with. So okay, I. I was disappointed that it was only the first place trophy that lit up. I'm like, you made that technology and you only give it to the one? Like, it's so much cooler if you give it to all of them and you have them all smooching their trophies. That's three times the promo opportunities. Are, are you are you allowed are you allowed to, to kiss the trophy if you didn't win? I don't know. Is it like an unwritten rule in motorsports? I don't remember. Maybe that that's a good it. question. <laughs> I'm, I'm just Maybe. guessing because you asked a good question. That's fine. Okay. Is there anything else on this report that we need to make sure we hit on? Well, I think the fact that there, this is only part one. There's three parts. Oh, that's so true. There are three, there are three parts to this. The other two haven't come out yet. So we have to keep an eye out. And I am kind of, that's why it's labeled part one. Surprise for anyone who didn't notice that or who didn't see the original report and just saw articles about the report. But they are doing follow-ups to this. And section four of this report is actually kind of just looking at the big question of what they're going to be going into for the next ones. So the part four is preview of our other F1 reports. And it's driving engagement, unveiling the secret of F1's social data. So it looks like they will be going into more detail of how fans get into F1. That is going to be a whole part two. And then part three is how the audience is changing. So we are going to get some insights and hopefully it fills in some of the gaps we've been talking about today, but it looks like they're looking into the future a little bit more than they are the current landscape. In, in either sense, the, the report does ask a, a pertinent question, which is how we reach peak F1. And I'd actually like to say, I think the answer is no. 
I think the, mm-hmm. the peak that we've seen or our relative peak that we saw previously was sort of at the back end of 2021. We had a very exciting and challenging fight for the championship, which of course everyone was loving, but people were still getting drawn into the sport because of that. I mean, at, towards the back end of that season, there were definitely people coming to F1 precisely because of the title fight. And I think that those people that are here now, because of that, still haven't seen a, a replication of that um, in, in the current times. But if we have the fan base that was brought together by that fantastic season and then activated with another great season, that level of engagement will be kind of insane. But the, the short answer is I don't, I don't actually think we've reached the peak of F1's market penetration, so to speak. But I do think that the fluctuations are strongly correlated to just the way the championship is going. And there's a, there's a homogeneity there that we really can't ignore and that it does affect people's interest in watching. That's just a reality we have to deal with. And in summary, we want people to be encouraged that it's going to continue to grow and that it's going to continue to be exciting in the future. We're not doomed to Max Verstappen dominance forever. He's going to retire someday, right? But we also, I think there's one of the slides on here that's like, but there's hope because the existing fans are passionate. And it's like, yes, of course, the existing fans are so passionate and there are already a lot of them so i don't i don't know i kept telling myself as i was reading this like don't get discouraged that you know it's declining or it's going down or it's not going to be relevant anymore it is still the fastest growing sport in america to date so and that's that's only going to increase um with the potential news about andretti We're, we're still trying to figure out if formula management themselves will allow andretti to become the 11th team but the fact that they're very much, you know, in the door and have a foot in the door bodes well for F1 in the United States. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I feel like this saying that F1 social media is on a decline, it's also just very misleading because I don't think it's a decline. I think it's just a shift. We're seeing more and more people choosing who they engage with. And it's not the official accounts. It's content creators. You're building very niche communities with people who enjoy the sport in the same way that you do. And so instead of being dependent of on-track action, fueling your enjoyment of the sport, you're building community with people that you just like talking to. And you're going to talk to them and interact with them regardless of if something cool is happening on track or not. That's how I met these two. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, random strangers on the internet. Would you like to make a podcast? (laughs) I, I think that's been incredibly powerful, actually. Um, the communities that are built, you mentioned the group chats and Discord servers and things. I mean, I, I was in Chicago uh, a couple of days ago for the for the Red Bull uh, demo run, and that was entirely due to the generosity of someone that I met online, making it possible for me to actually go to that in the, in the last minute situation. Those communities are very strong, and it's very hard to measure the data associated with that as well. Well, that was a lovely chat and i feel like a great place to close this off unless anyone has any last minute thoughts <laughs> no, no no last minute thoughts just uh thanks for having me on and uh you got your show is doing great and i hope it continues to do well well thank you well, so thank much you for, for joining here. us bryson it was a true delight to have you and your expertise in our corner here today at gravel trap f1 uh, expertise is expertise is always relative Remember that. <laughs> so even no matter how much smarter you think I am than you, there's someone else who's just as smart versus me. Believe me. Let our listeners know where they can find you online. Uh, I'm at Natural Paradigm on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. Uh, that's primarily where you can find me. 
there there are some podcasts that I'll be making some other appearances on in the, in the coming weeks, but just check my main socials there and, and you'll see me around. Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. When he said that he had been at a race, I thought he was going to say in like 2017. I was not expecting him to say in 2005. Christina from Gravel Trap F1 here, and I've got some big news. As you're well aware, Formula One is not the only open wheel racing out there. So, the Gravel Trap is expanding its repertoire into IndyCar with a new podcast called Gravel Trap Indie, hosted by myself and our newest member of the Gravel Trap family, Justin Reschke. That's right, Christina. If you're a longtime IndyCar fan or an F1 fan who's been curious about Indy but don't know enough about it yet, we're making a show for you. We'll be covering both current events, races, driver market news, as well as digging deep into the rich history of IndyCar to recount some of the most exciting stories ever to come out of the sport. Join us. It's going to be a blast. Look for Gravel Trap Indie wherever you get your podcasts.